Welcome to How We Win. All over the country, people are doing extraordinary things. We're giving you the tools that you need to make a difference right now. The best antidote to anxiety is action. There are 47 days until the most important election of our lives. Together, we will win all the houses. Joining us today is the executive director and founder of Sister District, Rita Bosworth. I had a fantastic conversation about how important volunteer engagement is and why down-ballot races are where it's at. And joining me to guest host today, I'm very excited, is Swing Left's social media manager, Ellen Wernicke. She's going to help us break down the week and talk about what it's like to be on Twitter all the time. I'm Steve Pearson, and this is How We Win. Ellen, this is so fun. Thank you for joining us on How We Win. Thanks for having me, Steve. I'm excited. I'm just glad to be able to pull you away from Twitter for at least a few minutes where you're not sucked into that vortex. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's always busy. The lights are always on over there. <laughs> it's true. I mean, like of all of the jobs in organizing, of all the jobs you could have at Swing Left, I really think yours is the absolute worst. <laughs> but you do it. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> It's it's a it's a particular kind of hard. I think everybody's job is is hard in a particular way. Um, for me, I find it suits me. I don't know what that says about me. Probably <laughs> nothing amazing. Um, in retrospect, I was the kid who was being yelled at to get off the internet um, when I was younger. <laughs> so uh, now I never leave. It's perfect. Okay, mom. See, you should have just left it well enough alone, right? You, <laughs> you've made a profession out of it. And if anyone's followed Swing Left's Twitter, which I'm sure everyone does, uh, who listens to this show at least, you, well, you should, you know how on top of it Ellen is. I mean, uh, I constantly just retweet Swing Left stuff, not just because it's great content, but also because she grabs the stories that are important faster than really anyone else can. So you do an amazing job, you know, letting people know what they should be paying attention to, what they should be outraged about, and then, of course, propelling people into action. Well, thanks. I recognize that a lot of people don't have the chance to keep up with the news every day. Everybody's busy, especially now with COVID. You may have kids at home going through virtual mm -hmm. school. Um, there's just not time to keep up on everything. And the scandals with this administration are fast and furious. And I only wish I meant the movie franchise, of which I'm a big fan. <laughs> but I hope that our social platforms can keep people informed about what's going on in a way that is manageable for them, that they don't feel overwhelmed by everything that's happening. It's, we're doing our part <laughs> to keep people updated and to give people things to do and ways to help, even when it feels like it's just scandal after scandal after corruption after corruption. Yeah, and having something to do about it is is the really, that's the key, and that's obviously what Swing Left does. And uh, so having said all of that, Speaking of scandals and corruptions and one thing after another, what's what's stuck out at you from the last week? Wow. Well, I I would say everybody is talking about this ICE whistleblower report, and hmm. um, it's it's just devastating. A nurse who worked at a uh, detention center in Georgia came forward to 
say that the detainees under her care, the people in detention, weren't being able to get COVID tests, weren't being quarantined properly, um, their concerns about their safety were being left off, and even worse, that some of them were being taken for surgeries that they didn't understand or um, weren't giving consent to. Um, this is really terrifying. Mm. And yeah. I, it strikes me that Chad Wolf, Ken Cuccinelli, both higher ups at Homeland Security, both were found to have been appointed illegally and right. are still hanging in there because the mechanism that's supposed to remove them is saying, oh, no, it's fine. In the meantime, these kind of human rights abuses are happening out of our sight and out of mind until this week when we heard this this absolutely horrifying report. Yeah, it's absolutely horrifying is right. It's so horrific and um, uh, hard to wrap your head around that that level of, you know, not just neglect, but abuse. And um, it's like a giant, ugly exclamation mark on the abuses that Trump has spent the last four years attacking Latinos, um, attacking healthcare, which disproportionately affects them, failing to address the coronavirus uh, admits these terrible racial disparities and, and who is getting sick and dying from from this. You know, the list goes on and on. But it is Hispanic Heritage Month, and we want to uplift their stories right now and um, bring Latinos to the forefront because we need to be working to, to build power in the Latino community every day of every year because um, they have been left out of, of this for too long. Yes, absolutely. Um, I just read that this is the first election where Hispanic and Latinx voters will be the largest minority participating in the election. And that's, yeah. you know, that's 32 million voters. They have a lot of power to swing these key states, but only if they feel empowered and that they're able to vote and that they want to vote. They feel that, you know, people are reaching them and candidates are talking to them. Everybody wants to hear that their candidates are echoing their concerns and really hearing them. And this is also a great way that those of us who are not Hispanic can show up for those voters right now um, by, you know, voting ourselves for candidates who are calling for an end to these horrible private prisons, calling for investigations, but also to volunteer to make sure that these uh, voters have access to the ballot, that they have time to request their absentee ballots, or they have they know when they can vote early, and they make mm -hmm. their decision, and they go through with their plan. Absolutely. And to your point also, and uh, in our interview with Rita Bosworth from Sister District, which is a really great interview that we did a few weeks ago, and I'm so excited for people to hear it. You know, we talk about the importance of all these down ballot races, um, and that and that's where you really build local power. We are working with so many amazing Latino candidates that you can support and phone bank for all over the country in some of these super states. So, excellent opportunity to do that. And like you said, I just read an article. I think it was yesterday in the New York Times talking about uh, in these key battleground states the number of eligible Latino voters has far surpassed now the winning margins by the Trump campaign in 2016. So, wow. you know, reaching 
reaching those voters. Now, those are eligible voters. That doesn't mean that they're going to vote. That doesn't mean that they're registered. Those are newly eligible Latino voters. So reaching those voters can really make the difference in this election as well. Yes, absolutely. Speaking of those voters, um, I don't I don't know if you knew this, but Joe Biden actually released his uh, plan for Puerto Rico today. Speaking of Americans that we don't always hear. I haven't read the whole thing. He just tweeted it out. But, um, you know, that's a group where, Get off you know, Twitter, Trump, Ellen, come on. <laughs> I, I meant before this. I meant before okay. this. Fair enough. Um, you know, this is a group that Trump has denigrated. We um, we found out last year, I forget which uh, tell all book this was, that Trump tried to sell Puerto Rico in exchange for Greenland, which he can't do. <laughs> um, and no one was interested in him doing you know, this is a place that full of Americans. They are Americans, you know, no matter what. And, right. you know, he went there and he threw a couple of paper towels and he left and then denigrated and attacked them. And whether they would like to be a state or, you know, to vote on their own self-determination, like we should we should clear paths to do that. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to looking into the Biden plan and um, hearing from some affinity groups what they think about it. Absolutely. I want to see Puerto Rico uh, become a state. I want to see D.C. become a state. It's long overdue. And the exciting thing about that is that's actually not just a wish. That's within the realm of possibility. You know, we can if we eliminate the filibuster, I haven't heard whether he supports Puerto Rican statehood or not, but I know that he said he would support D.C. statehood. So eliminating the filibuster we can get that done. We can get Puerto Rico statehood. So, you know, it's a possibility if we uh, take back all these houses. Listen, if we have to put two more stars on the American flag, you know, I think that those would be two great reasons to do it. All right. Well, there's so, so much more we could be talking about. I'm glad we got a chance to let people know that uh, we were kicking off Hispanic Heritage Month and encourage them to volunteer for some of our great Latinx candidates. The other thing that I, that I saw this morning that really made me insane was uh, Trump came out to California and was meeting with Gavin Newsom and a few other people. And it was just an awful, awful meeting. If you watch the recording of it, Gavin Newsom is trying so hard to find some common ground so that we can get some federal help for this dire, dire situation that we have going on in California and all over the West Coast and the West with these fires. I mean, climate change has always been real, <laughs> but mm-hmm. – um, you know, 20 years ago, it was hard for people to grapple with, with, you know, what that really meant for their lives. Right now, it's easy for them to grapple with it because every single year is hotter than the next. We had 120 plus degree temperature here in California. We had terrible fires. It's been a week. I still haven't seen blue skies or the sun because of all the smoke. And Trump literally says, it's going to get colder. It's going to cool down. And uh, they say, well, I, I, I wish science would agree with you because science, they don't really know. Science doesn't know. The biggest threat to our entire lives, all of us, our children, what kind of world are we going to live in it has to do with climate change. And um, it just pissed me off so much. I, I have a, a daughter who um, 
was trying to go outside and, and live her life. And it's so depressing to see the smoke and we've got it better than so many other people. We're safe. We're not in danger. We're not being evacuated. But for, for Trump to come into California and just say, it's going to cool down. Don't worry. When, um, over 70% of the lands that are on fire are federal lands. Um, I don't like it one bit, Ellen. It really, really upset me. Yeah, my my heart really goes out to all of you on the West Coast who are dealing with this. It sounds totally overwhelming. Um, I did see before we um, started recording today that Scientific American endorsed Joe Biden. They've never backed a candidate in 175 years of publishing. Um, And this year they here. Let me just let me just read a little bit. The evidence in the science show that Donald Trump has badly damaged the U.S. and his people because he rejects evidence and science. The most devastating example is his dishonest and inept response to the COVID-19 pandemic. He's also attacked environmental protections, medical care, and the researchers and public science agencies that help this country prepare for its greatest challenges. That is why we urge you to vote for Joe Biden. I mean, science science knows. Science took a side, I believe. (laughs) Yeah, the, science, the the scientists know that Joe Biden is the better pick, and so thank you, science, for affirming what we all have known for a long time. Yes, yes, of course. Just knowing that the science is on our side doesn't necessarily make it better in terms of you know having to deal with the terrible air quality, people having to flee their homes because of the fires. It's really hard to take, especially while we're already dealing with the pandemic. And, you know, hurricane season and everything else is going on. Right. Trump has obviously done a lot of damage to the Environmental Protection Agency and um, the earth in general. He's managed to do a lot of damage to the earth in the last four years. And we haven't really even spoken about this grim 200,000 death milestone that we're approaching here in the U.S. for the coronavirus. But it's it's really good to know the course correcting we can do when we have a Democrat, especially if we get a Democratic Senate in reversing those executive orders, passing meaningful legislation, putting you know teeth back in the protections that keep our air and our water safe. There's so much that we can really do. So um, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'm hopeful. That gives me some hope, which is a good segue into our reasons for hope. Uh, Alan, what's your what's your reason for hope? We always do a reason for hope, as you know. What's what's yours from this last week? Sure. Um, I would like to give some gratitude and some hope to uh, Colorado pushing back on some vote by mail misinformation. So this weekend we learned that the Postmaster General Louis DeJoy, uh, you may have heard of him from such scandals as I'm taking your mailboxes away, <laughs> or I am delaying your prescriptions, or I made $53 million off of a contract from the U.S. Postal Service with a no-bid contract in 2001. Anyway, bad DeJoy. Um, he took it upon himself to send out a postcard to every household in the country about voting by mail. Sounds great, right? Well... States asked him if they could review what they were sending out just to make sure it was correct. And he said, no, we're good. And so they sent out a postcard telling everybody that they had to apply to vote by mail, even though in states like Colorado, the ballot comes to you automatically. And in California, correct? Right. That's right. Yep. So these postcards saying that everybody has to apply to vote by mail are not correct for those states where 
ballots are automatically sent to registered voters. And one of those states is Colorado. And so they uh, got up from their lawn chairs or other weekend uh, recreational activities, and they sued right away. And they were able to stop these uh, postcards from going out to their voters to further confuse them. And it's sad and it's infuriating that our, we have to depend on states to hold the line against the Trump administration. Um, DeJoy basically acting like a malevolent corporate version of a three-year-old yelling, I do it, while he destroys your entire house. Um, but I love and appreciate all the hardworking election officials out there who are doing their best to deliver correct information, to clear the path for everybody who's eligible to be able to vote this November, to fight back against misinformation. It fills my heart with joy, frankly. Yeah, that's a great one. And um, you're absolutely right. I mean, it shouldn't be this hard for election officials to to get the correct information out to citizens who want to vote. But they are heroes in this for holding the line and making sure that everyone has their right to vote, their franchise vote. And if you missed it on Saturday, we dropped a mini pod about healthy voting that talks about the the different options that people have and where you can find that information. It's a really, really great little mini pod on healthy voting. So I encourage people to listen to that if they missed it. Um, mm-hmm. My reason for hope, um, last week we launched our last weekends campaign. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, last cycle for the midterms, we had the last weekend, which was what we call GOTV, Get Out the Vote Weekend. Uh, which is crucial to making those contacts and making sure people show up to vote. Now, because of all the early voting options that we have and people who are voting by mail, it's not just the last weekend, it's the last three weekends leading up, the last weekends, which are going to be so crucial to help these election officials get get information out to voters. So, you know, we did a big campaign. We launched it to get people not just to vote, but to volunteer and to make those contacts to voters. And, uh, We've had so many people step up in the last week already. It's really, really encouraging and really exciting. What did, what did you say? We had 14,000 volunteer hours pledged Over already? 15,000 right? now. 15,000. 15,000 volunteer hours pledged in just the last week. That's really, really awesome. So yeah, that gives me. I'm excited too. It's so exciting. I mean, that gives me hope. We get so wrapped up in the crazy news and we always wonder what can we do about it. And of course, we have Trump trying to denigrate the elections and we have Bill Barr trying to denigrate the elections now. But we can do this. We can make it an unquestionable victory if we all help volunteer, not just vote, but volunteer and get everyone to turn out and uh, just make it undeniable. We need to do that so that we fight against all of the voter suppression, the interference, the lies from the Trump administration. We also need to do it as a statement of our collective values as a country to show that this is who we are, this is who we believe in, and we're not going to let fascism rear its head in this America. So, I'm really encouraged. This is a perfect segue right into our call to action. If you haven't had a chance to sign up for the last weekends yet, you need to do that. It's at the last weekends with an S dot org. We'll also, of course, have the link on our 
podcast page for you and sign up, pledge some hours, start jumping into phone banking because that's the only way we have to have these personal conversations with voters right now safely uh, during the coronavirus pandemic. So um, it is really important and we need lots of phone bankers too. Hey, speaking of phone banking, Steve, aren't you running those trainings for Swing Left? <laughs> Why, yes, Ellen, I am. Thanks for mentioning that. Yeah, we've got phone banking trainings happening right now. They're every Wednesday, but just in a few weeks, we're going to have three or four of them a week. So um, if you're a little shy about phone banking and you're not sick of the sound of my voice by now, then you can jump in and I will give you all of the tips and tricks that you need. And look, it's really been much more effective uh, for a number of reasons this cycle. Number one, we don't really have uh, statistics on what it's like to phone bank during a global pandemic. We don't have the research. The research isn't quite in on that one yet. But anecdotally, phone bankers are having more conversations because people are home and they're having really good conversations. I had someone just the other day on social media said that More often than not, when they talk to someone, they're thanking them for making these calls and for being part of this and and for reaching out. So it's it's been really effective, really fun. Sign up for a training. I'll have a link to the training on on the page too. And uh, let's last weekends it up. Yeah, the great thing about the last weekends is that we'll meet you where you are. If you've never volunteered with us before, if you've volunteered with us a little, but you haven't been in the habit, come on and get back in the habit. There are less than seven weeks to go to election day. Don't don't miss out. You don't want to wake up and feel like you could have done more. This year, we're doing everything we can. Well said. Yeah, I woke up uh, almost four years ago wishing I had done more. I don't want that feeling again. I'm definitely not going to have that feeling this time. Nope. This time we'll be exhausted. So <laughs> we'll wake up later in the afternoon on November 4th. Yeah. Ellen, thank you so much for for jumping in and doing this. This was so fun. Yeah, no problem. Do you mind if I plug the social channels? Please, please plug the socials. My manager would never let me get away with not doing this. Uh, (laughs) Please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're at SwingLeft. If you have a question, feel free to DM us. We do answer our DMs, at least the ones that are not rude. And, you know, we're here to help. So uh, come on over and, uh, yeah, talk it up with us. Thanks. And what's your personal Twitter? All right. I'm at uh, at NeitherNor, um, N-E-I-T-H-E-R-N-O-R. So uh, come on over and uh, send me some gifs and jokes. (laughs) We'll have a good time. Yeah. All right. Will do. As soon as we stop recording this, I'm going to tweet at you or with you or I don't know. See, I'm bad at social. <laughs> Thank goodness we have Ellen. Coming up next, we have, as I mentioned, this really great interview with Rita Bosworth from Sister District. Unfortunately, we had some audio issues. It's not the, I, I pride myself in having good audio quality. It's it's not the best. So I, my apologies to Rita, but it's a really, really great interview. She's amazing. So I'm excited for people to hear it. Oh, yeah. We love Sister District. They're great. Rita Bosworth is a former federal public defender who is the executive director and founder of Sister District. The Sister District project was launched in 2017 and works to turn states blue by winning state legislative elections. Rita, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you for having me. 
So you've been a trial attorney and a public defender for 12 years before starting Sister District. What was your work as a lawyer focused on and what prompted you to start up Sister District? I, well, so I was a public defender. And so my law practice was exclusively criminal defense for indigent defendants. So for people that can't afford their own lawyer. And so I got very deep into the criminal justice system in this country and specifically the federal criminal justice system, because that's exclusively where I practiced for 12 years Mm -hmm. and certainly saw so many of the problems with that very, very broken system. Um, And, you know, of course, as a trial attorney, you are part as a public defender, at least you're part social worker, you're part educator, you're part, um, you know, the person that's supporting families through hard times. And of course you are number one advocate. So I, I did a real deep dive into that particular policy for 12 years post law school. And then, you know, coming out of that starting sister district, I'm able to really take the details and focus of that work in that particular issue, but pull back a little bit and see the larger picture of how that's actually just one issue of so many that are interconnected and all very important and all need change, you know, from, from soup to nuts. I mean, we need to change tiny details of how these systems work. And we also need to change the systems themselves and, and overhaul the structural and systemic racism and classism that exists in so many of our government institutions. So I don't know if it was a natural transition or not, but it certainly did um, prepare me for a lot of the work that we're doing right now. So, well, it sounds like a natural natural transition to focus on local legislatures. I'm going to tee this up for you, like a nice big softball. Why focus on local legislatures? Great question. I'm so <laughs> glad you asked. <laughs> well, you know, look, when I start, I, I actually started Sister District about a week after the 2016 election, and it was not planned. I did not mm. think in my wildest dreams that I would be leaving my career as a public defender and starting a nonprofit, a political nonprofit. Um, But that's just kind of where the moment took me. And as I started thinking about all of these things in that first election haze, we were, it was chaotic and it was frantic and everybody who believes in equality and justice for all was trying to think of what they could do. And to me, what really struck me was how in 2016, Democrats were a majority of the country, but we did not hold a majority of electoral power. Right. And that's, there's something that's just fundamentally unfair about that, about how it wasn't just the president. You know, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote by 3 million votes, but she didn't win the presidency. And in fact, two of the past five presidential elections, the person who has lost the popular vote has won the presidency. Um, but it's the Senate. You know, the fact that Wyoming has 600,000 people and they get two senators. Mm -hmm. California has 39 million people and we get two senators, right? There's a fundamental imbalance here and it's giving the minority of voters an outsized amount of power and representation in the halls of government. And it is really starting to skew policies and disproportionately affect the majority of people. So that was where I started. I thought, how is it that this is happening and what do we need to do to fix it? Well, when you really start looking at why is it the Democrats get so many more votes than Republicans and yet Republicans are able to hold on to Congress, well, you immediately learn that, of course, so much of that has to do with the redistricting process right. and specifically with gerrymandering and the fact that you can literally draw political voting districts 
in order to give a minority of voters a majority of power. And that all happens on the state level because the Constitution of the United States gives each state the power to draw their voting district lines. And so whoever is in charge in the state legislature is the party that gets to decide how those voting districts are drawn for both Congress and the state legislatures. So that is why in 2016, you take a state like Virginia, Virginia went for Hillary Clinton by five points. Virginia had a Democratic governor, two Democratic senators. It went for Barack Obama the first time. It went for Barack Obama the second time. Virginia should be a blue state. And yet in 2016, seven of their 11 congressional representatives were Republicans. Right. And that is because the Republicans controlled the state legislature. And so they gerrymandered the state and they gerrymandered Congress. And the Republicans, who are clearly the minority voters in that state, have this outsized amount. And so that's why we initially focused on the states was because in order to kind of undo this backwards uh, redistricting that was happening, you actually have to win power in the states in order to get in at the ground level, make sure you can draw fair districts. And that's where you're going to start to balance out the representation. Yeah, I think more people are really tangibly feeling the effects of what their local legislatures mean, where maybe they don't pay attention to that or pay more attention to federal elections. Um, because of the coronavirus, you're seeing how important it is that you pay attention to who your reps are. And of course, with the census coming up uh, with this election, even more so than the midterms, we have a historic opportunity to flip some legislatures and draw fair lines for the redistricting that you were talking about. So. Um, yes, yeah. yes, and yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I should just say that, you know, while we started Sister District in order to, to really drill down on this issue of redistricting and fairness, what quickly became apparent is that states are the place for the foreseeable future where we are going to make any sort of progress on any policies that we on the left care about. I mean, right. If you think about Congress, Congress is broken. It is toxic. Can you even imagine Congress passing comprehensive legislation on anything? Health care, gun violence prevention, voting rights. It's just not going to happen, right? And we have a court system that is increasingly hostile. We have a Supreme Court that, for the foreseeable future, is going to be stripping away rights, not adding to them. And so really, the place we have to turn is to the states. And that is a place where we can make progress. And again, I can refer to Virginia. In 2019, we helped turn Virginia into a trifecta state for Democrats, which means Democrats now control the governorship, the state Senate, and the state House. Mm -hmm. And their, their first term as a trifecta was from January to March this year in 2020. From January to March, they made Election Day a holiday. They got rid of Lee Jackson Day, which was a state holiday. Mm -hmm. They um, enhanced voting rights. They got rid of restrictive abortion laws. They passed sensible gun violence reform. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. And so, and in, they became the last state to ratify the ERA. That's right. And yeah. so in two months, they were able to do more than I think our Congress has done in four years. And that is, that, that is something that is on the ground affecting and helping the people in that state immediately, right? And so I can't overstate the power of um, local and state elections, because those are actually the people, and you're right, it gets overlooked. The national media does not cover these races. So many people don't even know who their state representatives are. Right. But these are the folks that are making these decisions. And you look, you know, you mentioned coronavirus. 
It's a great example of how who is in charge of your state right now affects whether your kids are going back to school or not safely. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at the Black Lives Matter protests. Colorado, which is a state that we, Sister District, helped with the Senate blue in 2018. It's now also a Democratic trifecta state. In July, they passed the most comprehensive police reform legislation we've seen in the country because, once again, they have Democrats in charge in the state who are able to put that issue at the top of the agenda and start making change. And so this is, we're not making this up. This is actually the stuff that affects people on the ground. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm sold, um, and I'm sure our listeners are too. <laughs> Let me ask you about your experience from the midterms and, and how you organized uh, for the midterms. What did you learn from that? What did you not expect to happen that happened in that? And how has your organizing shifted now that we have a presidential year and then, I guess, again, when the pandemic hit? Yeah, the um, you know, it's a good question. So our first year of working in elections was actually 2017. And there wasn't a whole lot going on that year, but Virginia was having elections. So we focused a lot on Virginia. And then 2018 was the first year, you know, it was the midterms. And so there were congressional races. There were a lot of states that were having races. And so we really had to drill down on our strategy and focus in on those states that we thought we could make the biggest impact. And we have kind of a three bucket strategy where we want to be in states where we can either flip a chamber blue, where we need to hold a chamber blue, or where we need we need to make inroads into badly gerrymandered states. Mm-hmm. And so we did have some great opportunities in 2018. As I mentioned, we helped flip the Colorado Senate blue by just, just flipping two Senate seats. There was a lot of work to be done. And I think on the one hand, it was incredibly exciting to see the energy and enthusiasm and to see not only the gains we made in states, but also you know, the historic gains we made in Congress. On the other hand, I will say one thing that's just disappointing from kind of a holistic standpoint is Mm -hmm. that was still such a fight. You know, I think so many of us want to believe that the country is progressing and people believe in goodness and kindness and equality and justice for all. And it was, but it was such a fight and it, it was not... You know, they didn't hand us any of those races, and so many of those races were close. And it just is a reminder that this stuff does not happen overnight. You have to be organizing all the time, even in the summertime, even in the wintertime, even in those program mm-hmm. off years. You have to be doing it today because what you're doing today is going to matter for six, eight, ten years down the line. Um, this infrastructure does not just spring up. It's a constant investment. And so now that we're here in 2020, um, you know, this is the election we all we have been waiting for this for right. years. Right. And we have been working, building, organizing for years. Um, and there's still no guarantee that it's going to be enough. You know, nobody can sit here right now and tell you that they're sure that Donald Trump is going to lose. Um, that would just be silly. And so it's just a reminder to me that on the one hand, when you put in the work, it is possible. And it's constant. Something I think about constantly is how we have to always keep hope alive and ahead of us because we always have something to work for. Uh, but on the other hand, we will never be able to just sit back and think, okay, it's done. It's never done. Right. So many of our volunteers are women 
that marched in the 60s. And they come up and tell me, I cannot believe I have to do this again. <laughs> right, right. Um, but we just, we can never get complacent and we always have to keep pushing forward. That's just some great points you've made in there. And, um, you know, about especially about how tight these fights are and how tight these races are. Um, and Virginia that you've talked about is a perfect example of that because in 2017, we missed the opportunity. There was literally a tie for control of the House of Delegates. What was it, a name out of a hat or drawing a straw yeah. or something? It was, yeah. a it was a name out of a hat. A name out of the hat. Uh, and then in 2019, you know, we kept working, kept working on, on Virginia and that and were able to take control. And all those great things happened as a result that you laid out so well. It just reinforces how important our volunteer work is, though, too, because these races are close. They are tight. And I just if I was an organizer on the ground in Virginia in 2017, I would be ripping my hair out. And I kind of was anyway, thinking, man, if I could just have a couple more contacts, just talk to a couple more voters, we would have won that. And that's what it comes down to. So, you know, coming into this election and and you're also right like you know i've learned so much about my local government you know i'm uh, i work with the De california democratic party as a delegate now i do all this stuff that i never did before trump was elected you know but the impetus for all this for me was we've got to get rid of donald trump right and this is the the election that so many people have been waiting for but uh in the meantime, we've been able to build up this incredible infrastructure. We've had some elections that we lost, but we built that scaffolding in those places, just like Virginia. Like, you know, Virginia 2019 would have been, wouldn't have been possible if it wasn't for Virginia in 2017 and the work that you all and others did. Everything you said, I just couldn't agree with more. We have to keep working. We're almost here with, with the presidential, but we need to stay and, and keep and hold the, the new people that we elect accountable to the issues that we, we want as well. So, Yeah, that's right. And I think, you know, another really important point about this being a presidential election is that um, working on down-ballot races is additive. It's not mm. taking away from the work that we need to do to elect Biden and Harris. It is actually just enhancing that work. So, for example, if you get out the vote for a state legislative candidate and you get them to the polls, they're going to vote for the top of the ticket, right? Yep. Because you're not going to leave that one blank. That doesn't always happen in reverse. If you're getting out the vote for Biden and Harris, then if somebody doesn't recognize the name at the bottom of the ballot, they're more likely to be right. And so the work we're doing, getting out the vote for maybe the least recognized name on the ballot, but then they're going to vote also for that swing congressional candidate. And they're going to vote for that important Senate candidate. And of course, they're going to vote for the presidential. So in my view, Getting out the vote for state legislative candidates is really the most effective way that you can have a layered effect all the way up the ballot. Well, our co-host Mariah, who's on maternity leave right now, always says down ballot is where it's at. <laughs> it's, <laughs> and it's really, really true because also, you know, like you said, people will vote up the ballot. They don't always vote down it. Uh, but the money and volunteer hours that you give to those down ballot races are super important, super effective. The money that you spend on these local legislatures really is important to them. It goes a long way. And, um, you know, they're competing for, you know, media and ad buys and, and all that stuff in their markets. So, yes, 
again. Yeah, <laughs> we just we just agree about everything, don't we? We agree about everything. <laughs> we ha- we have it all figured out. <laughs> we do. Oh gosh, I know this podcast is called How We Win. So if it goes south on November fourth, I'm I don't think I'll ever be able to work again. But <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you've had a lot of volunteers coming in who are volunteering for the first time through Sister District. Uh, what advice do you have for new volunteers who are just showing up right now? I think, first of all, you've made you've, you've made the best decision ever by deciding to do it and showing up. I mean, that is more than half the battle, right? Because most people don't. They think about it and then and then they don't do it. So kudos to everybody who says, I'm going to do it and I want to do something where it's effective, right? And that's part of the reason I started Sister District was because I, during the 2016 run-up to the election, would get random phone banking links, you know, click here to phone banking Florida. And it didn't mean a whole lot to me. And mm-hmm. I wanted to know, who, you know, what is the need? Who am I helping? Is this the most effective way to spend my time? Because I want to help, but I don't want to just do something that's wasteful. The first thing I would say is once you decide you want to do it, make sure you're doing the thing that feels good to you and that you have done enough research to know this is effective. This is going to make a difference because that is going to um, not only is it going to keep you coming back, which our ecosystem needs, we need volunteers to keep volunteering, but it's going to make you feel better. And I've had so many people tell me, you know, no matter what happens in 2020, I'm going to feel better this election than I did in 2016, because I'm mm. going to know that I did my part. I did everything that I could do. And I think we collectively as a society and a people, we need that. We cannot sustain this kind of constant battery of assaults that we are seeing in the news. And the the Republicans really want to overwhelm us. They want to create chaos. They want us to tune out. Yeah. This is the antidote. I am telling you, this is how to make yourself feel better, to do something. And I like to say that not one of us can fix this problem alone. Not one of us. There is no such thing as a savior. And Barack Obama even said this. He said, you are the ones you've been waiting for. And what he meant was, Nobody can fix this on our own, but if we all do our part and if we all work together and if we all get our friends to do it and we keep doing it and we all do what is possible for us under these really crazy and difficult circumstances right now, that is when change happens and that's when we can move the ball forward. So number one, show up. Number two, do something that makes sense to you that you feel good about. And number three is keep doing it and keep hope alive. Speaking of hope... What gives you the most hope for the future? I uh, I like to look at these things, you know, to step way back up into the trees and look down mm-hmm. at the long arc of history to remind myself that this is a moment in time. Um, this does not define humanity. It doesn't define our country. It defines this moment. And we have had a lot of difficult moments in this country. And it's not easy to get through them or past them, but we do. And we do when we keep working and when we keep the faith and when we allow ourselves to, you know, not beat ourselves up when, when everything doesn't go our way, it's one step in front of the other. It's a journey. And it is cliche by now, but to say that the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice, you know, we Mm. have to believe that. We have to believe that. We may not be on that, (laughs) on that downward facing arc yet, but we will be, but we will only be there if we keep doing the work today. And so I remind myself, it took women 70 years to get the vote. 
You know, it took centuries to liberate uh, Black people from slavery, and we're still working to liberate this society from our racist ideals. Um, so it, it's it's a journey, and we all need to be a part of it. But we also can't feel responsible, like or take it personally when it doesn't feel right. You know, so we're, we're all working, we're all learning, we're all doing our best, and we have to believe that that this will will make a difference. And so um, I would just zoom out, you know, and. Yes, there are a lot of crises right now, but um, but there are also a lot of good people and good things happening. And we have to believe that those are going to be the things that, that win out at the end of the day. I love that so much. I love that philosophy. You're, you're my new spirit organizer. <laughs> Rita, thank you so much. I wish we could go on and uh, continue this conversation, but perhaps we can do it another time. But After thank you. we win. After we win, yeah. Come back for a recap. (laughs) Oh, that's going to be the fun. The debrief episodes are going to be so fun. (laughs) Everyone's going to be drunk the whole time. So, (laughs) Uh, Rita Bosworth, Sister District, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us and for stepping up to take action. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved. We want to hear from you. Don't forget to tweet at SwingLeft. And also you can email us at podcast at swingleft.org. Thank you to our friends at Dimcast. Check out our page at swingleft.org slash podcast. And please share our show on social media. If you haven't yet, subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or wherever you get your pods. And of course, sign up for thelastweekends.org. It is time to start committing some volunteer hours to Phone Bank. We really appreciate you being here with us, and we will be back with some more next Wednesday. We'll see you then. If you're addicted to love, get ready to binge your heart out. Stream exclusive originals plus the entire 90-day universe for just $4.99. Discovery Plus is the streaming home of relationships, plus so much more. Start your free trial. MSW.